back Mark's Madness. As a concession to the, uh, the, the, the hangover that David is currently dealing with, I, I did a standard <laughs> boop 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 for him. Um, that was a concession only to I, his. That was, mu- that was mutual aid as far as I'm concerned. Um, I appreciate that very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yes. Now, don't get it wrong. I'm still going to yell just as much as I normally do. Yo, because no. Yeah, I fully um, expect there is, that. There's no, uh, there's no other way I know how I to do this. I took a lot of ibuprofen before. You're a smart man, and I've got some excision upstairs. We can really yeah. just tie one on if we need to. We can. Meanwhile, I'm going to be actively drinking throughout this, as is tradition. Um, but, uh, so this is, this, uh, spoiler alert, this is a little bit weird. Um, this is the first time since the great, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the great purge, as we shall call it, great, that uh, the great uh, uh, iPad vanishing. Yeah, of, yeah, the extinction event that was chapters fifteen through thirty-three. Um, <laughs> this is the first time we've had to Frankenstein an episode together. So w- this is the beginning of chapter two, part one. We have the back half of chapter two, part one, already very recorded from last time we recorded, like a week ago. Super, Um, super recorded. Very recorded. So what this is, is this is us in the future getting ready to link up with us in the past to do some weird sort of a hybrid mix-up episode. Um, So if there's any weird overlap or it doesn't make sense or we sound different, that's why it's the only episode that'll happen like this for this. And then pretty soon going forward, thanks to some fantastic mutual aid from some fantastic comrades, you should be getting a significant better audio from us just in general um but we will talk about that later but uh but yeah, this is yeah. do not drop the sports almanac and let biff take over the world i will i if there's one thing i will not do it is drop the sports almanac and let yes. Biff take over the world because i just want to keep reading how many times the blues win the stanley cup because <laughs> <laughs> we look so good it looks oh. so good um but that being said we're starting chapter two, and yes. that was exciting last week. It's a slightly less exciting this week since we're doing it for the second time, but the good <laughs> news is, in full-on uh, Mark's Madness tradition, the only um, actual text that we have to make up is, like, three sentences. Yeah, because don't... we got through three <laughs> sentences in 20 minutes last week. Don't ever assume we're good at this. No, 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 no. We got through three <laughs> sentences in 20 minutes. So the text part of this will be very easy. Yes. So therefore, to give you a full episode, we're going to have to recreate what we did at the beginning of last week, which was basically current events. Um, now, I don't know what current events we talked about, because they're gone, and I don't remember shit after these. I blank these out. No, um, we like read one sentence and got mad and yelled about everything that's going everything, on Everything, everything that's going on in the world. So we're going to try and recreate that as much as possible. Um, and then we're going to talk about some whatever else tickles our fancies for 20 minutes until yeah. we've uh, connected these two episodes into one beautiful baby. And then magically it'll be normal Mark's Madness after that. Exactly. So my curiosity is, is do you want to try and do the, uh, the current events up top, or do you want to just read the text and then we can current events our way into, into I think the you want to read the text like just doing the current yeah. events up top sounds feels weird it feels weird so let's start reading so this is chapter two spontaneity its strength and weaknesses I do love how he said it's strength singular yeah. and weaknesses plural um, because we, Fanon's not a big fan of spontaneity, guys. No, and, and something to keep in mind here, too, is is you'll kind of get this picture, and this is a picture of what Fanon sees in the colonies at the time. Uh, that doesn't mean this is 
decolonial movements or, or nationalist movements in general all the time. It's also a good reminder of, for anyone you know who's not a colonized person reading this, why we read that intro of Sartre, how it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, we should care deeply about what it says in here, but it's not for us. Yes. Because if you start listening to this and drawing conclusions and, you know, going, well, all these, you know, colonized governments don't really care about the people and these worker parties don't really care about the people and all that, you know, it's not, it's not going to be good. But there'll be a lot of talk about how peasants relate differently in colonies and how people were reacting and it's it's kind of why you have to actually embrace the the lumpen proletariat it's it's why you know mao and lenin and and these movements worked and why the ones that the finance talking about had a little more trouble and it's and i it's it's very interesting to me because coming at it just so late in the game and then analyzing it mm-hmm. um i don't understand and David, maybe you have a better idea on this. What was what was the fear? Why? I mean, other than I've heard it multiple times that the lumpen proletariat or the the peasant class, whatever whatever you end up calling them, they just tend to be reactionary, so we don't really include them. Was there yeah. any good reasoning behind that? Because it, it feels like in every major revolution, obviously, I'm arm, I'm trying to armchair critique a, a Marx argument. Yeah, but that's not fair to him because he didn't see it coming. But most of the the successful revolutions that that we talk about a lot and that we mm-hmm. we look you know that we we idolize a lot tended to be peasant based revolutions. So what was what was this argument that the peasants couldn't do it? Well, this and this is a big drive in spontaneity, so it'll sound very much like Fanon's totally in belief with this. But if you leave anybody, including the the peasantry, to to their own means, like you don't actually you know have someone come in and this is why we do theory, right? You come in and you say something that's true and everyone that's oppressed goes, oh yeah, that's true. I can see that. And it clicks. But it's all these things that happen in your head that never really click. We talked about this in Capital. Until Marx says it, the exploitation of labor, things like that don't click, right? And uh, so the idea that peasants are reactionary, well, if you don't radicalize someone, if you don't educate them, they're going to be reactionary. They're going to, they're just going to want to replace the capitalists. They're going to want to take over and just be the rich people. You know, that's all they want. Their, their goals are just having the bigger, shinier things. You have to educate them in like, this is what you need for your liberation. This is why you're not liberated. Not because, you know, you're all knowing and they're, they're reactionary and below you, but because you've come across it. You've come across in the theory and, and you have to educate them. And then once they are radicalized, they are the easiest people to radicalize, but unradicalized, there's reactionaries. Any anyone? Hell, they're completely fed culture. So it completely comes completely fed superstructure. It comes again because I always have to tie it back to something I am intimately familiar with. So that again, that that the the four minute Fred Hampton video that I think is the best thing in the mm-hmm. history of time, where he talks about if you don't educate someone, they're just gonna you know we're gonna they're gonna take the positions and then they're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna ex, you know create the same structures again and then we're gonna have black imperialists and the, and and that's not what we want. Like we need an educated. You need to understand why you're right. taking what you're taking, other than taking it for its own sake. Right, right. And and if they aren't, you know, I mean, there there could be plenty of, you know, lumpen proletariat masses that until they kind of, and we talk about practice educates you, like when you go somewhere and you find how disorganized it is and, and how that's a problem or, or, you know, how people abuse the system or, you know, how opportunists exist until you see that, you know, sometimes that's, that's kind of foreign. Uh, but for, you know, people when they, they elected Obama up, it was, you know, representation, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was representation, representation, and never thought about like, well, okay, for that. Obama not only has to be black, and then the best person to represent, you know, black people is someone who's black. It should not be someone who's not. You know, identity politics are, are, are a good thing. Yes. But just because he's black, if he's not doing what the black population needs, if he's not fighting against white supremacy, 
it doesn't matter. And Obama didn't do that, and it clearly didn't matter. No, no, he did It immediately stopped mattering that he was black the second he was in office. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, he, he toppled the the highest living standard country in all of Africa Libya. and turned it and turned yeah and Libya and turned it into an open air chattel slave market yeah like it, it being black didn't make that not true no and it's you know? and it's it's important to recognize but we we said yeah. we were going to start with the text and then get into the, the, the yeah and we did that, none of that yeah no well that, because I'm trying to give this qualifier uh, because I do want to do something and I think I did this last time and I think it got lost and it's important uh, when he talks about the workers um, and their disconnect from the lump of proletariat, from the peasantry, and them not going out to the peasantry, not getting in there, not understanding them, or you know them rejecting them and not listening. We should be able to feel that and think that of like you know, whiter communities going into communities of color. Well, even even more specifically, the the like the professional class versus the actual working class mm-hmm. in this country. There is while we are both members now of probably what would be considered broadly a proletariat, there is a white collar professional class of worker that is still absolutely not a capitalist, not bourgeois, not even petty bourgeois, just working in completely different conditions with different circumstances that are uh, that that have this alienation and disconnect from true from either, you know, industrial working class or, or rural working class or whatever it is. That yeah. that is more that is much more of an issue than we have as a, a peasant working class issue. We have a sure. we have a divided working class at this point. We have a divided proletariat. Um, so again, I, we always are going to point out when the circumstances are wildly different, um, but there are still areas of the world where where what Fanon is saying is spot on without any need for qualification. Yeah, yeah, and I mean some of the stuff too is you got to realize, you know, I mean he's talking very much about colonizer versus you know colonized mindsets, mm-hmm. and <laughs> if we keep the colonizer mindset, we're never going to be able no. to, to you know participate in the liberation of the colonized. Shout out to Ecuador. Mm, oh yes. Oh my God! Yes. Shout oh out to God, Ecuador. Yes. Indigenous indigenous groups have fucking run Lenin Moreno out of Quito. It is beautiful. Run, not only it run is... him out of Quito, ran him to Guayaquil. Yeah, and are oh, now yeah. taking it to him in Guayaquil. Did you see the uh, the video the other day of the there were protesters that the police showed up to try and uh, repress, and the army showed up on the side of the protesters. Where, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the <laughs> army, like, pulled up full encirclement of the protesters. And the, like, the queen was like, when you have both enforcement arms of the ruling class fighting within each other, that's when you know shit's about to pop off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's when you know that, that Lenin Moreno is done. It's, yeah. That, he, that He's done. And and why not? You know, I mean, these these protests, has only been a few days, but there was a very quickly, there's been strong repression. Mm-hmm. Um, there's already been at least five deaths, I, I can think of uh, from these protests, you know, I mean, these are real uprising decolonial protests. Yes. Not that, not that Hong Kong bullshit that no. where everybody's getting. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Well, 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 we're gonna get to Hong Kong. Okay. We're gonna get to Hong Kong because we can't get to it because it is the only thing. It is the link, but that connects us from one place to another. It oh, is that's our right. We got to do this weird because we broke. Yeah. Up, so, so don't talk about Hong Kong yet. All right. All right. All right. So, but that said, um, Ecuador, uh, Honduras. Haiti, those are real decolonial uprisings mm-hmm. to support. That right would now. absolutely be able to take the the things that Fanon is saying in this mm-hmm. book with no 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 need to change, no need to alter. There, the no, s- they, s- yes. similar circumstances. Absolutely, absolutely. So to the text, that's why we're all here. <laughs> well, that's why uh, some of us are here. <laughs> uh, this this consideration of violence had led us to take account of the frequent existence of a time lag or a difference of rhythm. Now, remember, rhythm is, you know, in this case, it's it's not like 
culture and stuff like he talks about, uh, but rhythm is, is kind of the beat people go to, right? Yeah. So when he's talking about culture, rhythm is culture. Right now, you know, rhythm is uh, a, a pace of, of um, different experiences, right? Different different yeah. radicalization experiences, different work experiences, standard of living, that kind of thing. Uh, between the leaders of a nationalist party and the mass of the people, and every political or trade union organization, there is a traditional gap between the rank and file who demand the total and immediate bettering of their lot, and the leaders, who, since they are aware of the difficulties which may be made by the employers, seek to limit and restrain the workers' demands. This is why you often are aware of dogged discontentment among the rank and file as regards to their leaders. After a day spent in demonstrating for their demands, the leaders celebrate the victory, whereas the rank and files have a strong suspicion that they've been cheated. And this is where you get back to... Anyone who's ever worked anywhere in a union environment mm-hmm. and been through the lead up to strike up until actual strike and post strike, you you get this weird feeling where it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm getting message from my union leader saying we've won these grand victories for you, and yet my work, my my living conditions have not changed. My working conditions have yeah. not changed. My material conditions have not changed. In their view, they've won some victory on some scale, but it, they're they're either one not communicating it well enough to the worker what their victory was, or two, they're just plain not working in the worker's interest. They're working in their own interest, which is a problem we see in at least in in Western unions quite a bit. We have we have a large swath of them that mm-hmm. are not as focused on their their constituents, for lack of a better word, as they should be. Well, that's where you hear like a, what a wildcat strike is. A wildcat is when the the union leaders go, no, we don't want to strike. We got to work with these guys yeah. and the entire union rise up as fuck you we're striking and, and, and to be frank i think we all know wildcat strikes are by far the most effective oh, in any in far. any me when 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 you have a planned strike look at it look at it right now you're seeing it there oh if you want a great praxis opportunity if you want to be able to sit from your house and do some do some solid low-level praxis um there is a strike going on and i'll, I'll put the links in the show notes um, there's a strike getting ready to go on for administrative workers. I believe it's in healthcare, but it may be in in some other related field in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and they are they have an open they have the the website that they're using to recruit is yeah. an open website where they're like we're looking to hire um, scab replacement workers. Essentially, they're very oh, open about it. We're hiring strike replacement workers. We're going to pay you this much. We'll pay your travel expenses. We'll pay all that. So. If you were someone who had some time on your hands and a computer and wanted to create as many spam applications that may or may not get through and then get hired on for these roles and then never show up for them as a way to uh, completely cripple their ability to to hire these scabs might not be a bad way to do uh, to spend a couple hours of your afternoon yeah, um, yeah that's <laughs> and again but that's why and that's why wildcat is the is the way to do it because you can't plan for those. When a, when a strike mm-hmm. is planned upon nowadays in capital, they can hire scabs in a heartbeat. That's what the yeah. that's what the um the the reserve labor pool is for that we talk mm-hmm. about in capital. It exists for a reason. They're going to take whatever they can because you can call them whatever mean name you want. They need to survive. And if scab work is the only way they're going to survive, mm, the, survival takes precedent over class solidarity most times. It just does. Yeah. Um, and that's why, again, it is so important that whatever party we can put together or whatever organizations we put together are at their forefront, at the at the very vanguard of what they do, is meeting material conditions for those mm-hmm. that are in. You, you, you have to have an alternative way to meet these people's material conditions 
or they are going to go to that method. They're going to be scab workers. They're going to be whatever. If you don't, if you're not there to meet them, if you're not there to give them a viable alternative, how dare you sit there and fucking throw stones at them? You don't. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's not fair. But that should be at the fore. And again, it's, we talk about it with the Panthers. We talk about it with with anybody. Any successful revolutionary group at its forefront is some. It, it, they are always focused on meeting needs. For the people that are going to agitate on their behalf. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if there are things, there's three things a Vanguard party needs to do. It's feed, educate, and arm. And you cannot be missing any of those. You cannot be missing any of those. And you got to think about it. There's, There's three planes that you want to feed people on. First is, what's the whole reason you're doing this? You want to liberate these people. You want to liberate this working class, right? So just on a moral and ideological fulfillment standard, if you're serious about that, you'll want to meet these people's needs anyway. I mean, that's a big part of your goal, okay? Yeah. Secondarily, that is where, you know, you build their support. You know, you build their trust by meeting their needs. People are going to go, oh, you helped me. Now I'm going to listen to what you say. If you just walk up and start ranting about, uh, you know, oh, turn to your oppressor, how dare you idiots put your head in the sand and da 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 and don't actually meet their needs, why, why would they trust anything you have to say? Yeah. You know? And then... Um, and then, of course, that, that keeps them also from, like Nathan said, you know, scabbing, things like that, because their needs are met. They're not as desperate. They don't have to, they don't have to circumvent that. And it's, and, then, and, it, and it's as easy as, as if you've got that organization, again, this is where you need, you need funding, you need, you need resources, you need a way to fight. But sit at the scab, sit at the, the, the picket line, and when someone's getting ready to cross over, go, what are you going to make today? Cool. I will pay you that to not walk in that door. Awesome. Over here. Yeah. And then keep and then keep building that way. You you need you we, we need organization and we need a we need centralized organization mm-hmm. because that is the only that is the that's that gonna... the only way. It is the most effective way to build up a coffer large enough to be able to mm-hmm. meet because these things you're going to be able to pool those resources. You're going to be able to know they're going to the right spot and you're going to be able to organize. And then the third thing I was going to do with the f- food part and it actually plays into the central organization too is the third thing it does is it practices you when stuff does pop off and these institutions break down because you're smashing the state and replacing it with your own. Now that doesn't mean we're wanting to smash like, you know, where welfare in general, but the reaction they're they're already trying to take they're away. You think they're not gonna pull the plug of that? Desperately. You think yeah, I mean absolutely. So, you know, you're gonna have that stuff, you're gonna know how to organize that, you're gonna have that practice and that structure in place mm-hmm. to handle it when things pop up. The same thing with organizing centrally. You're gonna have that structure where, you know, when you hit a hard spot, when you have a new challenge, you're gonna know where to turn. You're not gonna go, man, wandering around a hundred different ideas. I hope someone can think up which one's right and maybe in 20 years we'll sort this all out. A new challenge pops up. You turn to the Vanguard. The Vanguard listens to the people, gets together, comes with a democratically centralized position and goes out and takes action on it. Organized yep. action. And again, these people are have to be, I think Lenin talks about it in, I don't know if it's Foundations of, no, it wouldn't be Foundations of Lenin because that's Stalin. It was probably what is to be done or left-wing com- communism. Yeah, most of it's what is to be, but left-wing communism too, yeah. But you, this... You have to have the ability to pay these people to be able to go underground for a couple of years mm-hmm. if shit goes sideways for them. You have to, and that's I think the the biggest. And, and we've talked about this before. And we talked about this definitely on the on practice episode. And but but that I think should be the. I think that has to be everyone's number one, or at least in my opinion. And that's that's a very <laughs> a very new to this, possibly naive opinion at, at that. But that should be where the energy is right now is building up that whatever structure it is that's mm-hmm. going to give us some ability to strategically fight back when we need to because mm-hmm. these things they Kaplitz has done a good job of atomizing everything at to such a level so let's say fast food 
if you wanted to, if you theoretically completely broke fast food yeah. to the point where there was no easy way to go through a McDonald's or a Burger King or whatever, that would have a significant impact. But let's say it's just McDonald's. Or let's say it's just Burger King. Or let's yeah. say there's so many of them and they're so disparate now that one or two isn't going to be enough. You're going to need collective action. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to be able to get a group of people that are not suffering at that time to take that collective action is if you can come in and incentivize them as an organization go, look, I know maybe right now your conditions are not bad enough that they're that, that you think this is necessary. But I need you to look at your brothers and sisters over here who are doing the same kind of work and getting fucked and realize that the only way we're going to raise this for everybody is if we all act at the same time. I know that's going to be a burden on you. I will help you get through. We will help you get through that with whatever material needs you need to, to you know to make sure you're fed and clothed and housed and all of that. But we need you to to take part in this so that this is effective and that this makes a difference because individual time. Any little strikes here and there are not going to yeah. hit them anymore. They've they've got they knew that that hurt them in the past. They learned and they've made it harder for that to hit them. We have to hit them on massive scales now for it to even make a blip on their radar. Yeah, and I mean, and that's an important thing. Like what you're saying there is not only you're going to be able to meet those needs to draw those people away from being overly comfortable, but then the people who are getting fucked are not going to die. They're yes. not going to lose their house. That's, yeah. You know, even more importantly, they've got that base there. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you, you've got to do that. And, and the Vanguard cannot look at, you cannot look at, if you think that you want to be part of the Vanguard, if that's where you think that you're best served or what or, or whatever, you cannot be looking at, because I think this is a valid critique of the Vanguard, is do not be looking at the individual workers or people or people that you're representing mm-hmm. as pawn pieces they are not they are absolutely you have to look at them you are there for the liberation of them and for their betterment and Mm -hmm. if they're and if if the end goal if to get to your end goal you're gonna steamroll over a bunch of them but you think it's in the name of the cause go back and rethink your theory that's mass line 101 if your theory if your entire master plan to get to where you want to go involves thousands of frontline working class men and women dying or suffering or lowering their working conditions, they're not going to be on your side. They're going to resent your policies and you're not going to get what you actually want. So rethink Mm -hmm. your fucking policy. Go back to the drawing board. Yeah. Yeah. That being said. That being said. Um, we have this, uh, minor movement that keeps evolving over time, slowly but surely, and it feels like it's an every week endeavor. Um, and I'm starting, I'm going to start a new, uh, a new, you know, segment on the show because I feel like it doesn't have enough already. Um, and this segment is called David was right point of the week. Oh God. Um, and I feel like it's important. Now to keep... stuck up on a pedestal. I'm no, you are. Thing. I'm sticking you up there because God it's important it. because, um, um, the track record so far, since we started this show, there yeah. have been a couple to, you know, multiple, uh, uh you know, geopolitical uprisings or, or hot mm-hmm. points or flash points in the media um, where you had people that, you know, it was happening in the moment. And it was hard to make a decision. It was hard to know what mm-hmm. side to come down on. Um, to this point, the ones that I can remember since we've done this podcast, uh, the earliest one was Venezuela. Um, the Venezuelan coup was, was mm-hmm. ongoing from the time we started this podcast through a couple, you know, until Maduro and his government have thankfully repressed it to this point. Um, we've had as a background the whole time the Rojava uh, incidents. Uh, yes. we'll, we'll call it that. Um, and then we had the Hong Kong protests kick off. Um, and now we have a new one coming that we'll talk about on our next episode. We're not going to get into uh, uh, the the 
current events in Syria until next episode, which mm. will actually be three episodes from now. So j- just deal with our time travel. But otherwise, this episode is going to be unbearably long, and you don't want to deal with it. Um, but uh, but so far on all of those, that went at the point that they were touchy and hard to nail down and nebulous. Um, David has been a rock, in as far as I'm concerned, of consistency in nailing down where they were coming from, their intentions, and where they were going. And so far, he is batting a thousand. Um, on Venezuela, he was very able. He, I mean, he was very early on. Before it was obvious that it was a coup for coming out and calling it a coup. Oh, uh, Zhejiang is the other Zhejiang, is the yeah. other major one, and that one I'm gonna say is still ongoing. I don't think that one's resolved in the way that some no, of those other but ones now are doing yet. Epoch Times lies. We've, is... Exactly. So we've got some things there. That one hasn't quite resolved, but ones that are, in our opinion, in my opinion, resolved. Uh, Venezuela. He called that one from day one, didn't deviate from the line, and was right the whole time. Rojava. Duh. <laughs> Very yeah. obvious what was going on there now, but fine. Um, every other leftist, uh, I, myself included, we kind of waffled back and forth. We didn't know. It seemed like a good revolution. David was very dead on on that. Um, third ones again. We have we have Xinjiang, and we have what is currently about to go on in Syria. Um, mm-hmm. and we have some other things. But that being said, um, Hong Kong. Okay. Hong Kong has evolved a little bit since the last yes. time we talked about it. Um, so, David, give give us where we are right now with the Hong Kong protests, taking into account um, the the Blizzard as Blizzard NBA aspects oh, of God. it. Or I won't <laughs> consider this valid as a gamer. I will not consider this analysis valid if you do not include Blizzard. Um, but but where were we? Where are we? What struck it all off? And where are we? Where do we sit right now? Okay. Well, I'm going to preface this first. Uh, with the fact that I really appreciate this, uh, Nathan, and I, I hope I'm right on things uh, because we are educating people. You empirically uh, are. I just went through them. That, that said, I don't want to. I don't want to like. I'm not alone in these thoughts, and I don't want to sound like some magical sage person. A lot of times, I understand this because I listen to a lot of different resources and I piece them together logically. Yes, but you're the only one I talk to, so as far as I'm concerned, you're okay. Nostradamus. Okay. <laughs> um, lastly. Uh, as far as Hong Kong, and let's be very clear about what, what Hong Kong is, okay? Um, a country. <laughs> Did I head. win? I'm going to kick you in the head. Uh, a rock, according to Milton Friedman. Yeah, yeah a rock. <laughs> Just a rock with people. A rock with people on it. Four <laughs> They've already heard four that. Million, so four mi- they've heard four, this one. Four, four million, million resources. On four million resources on a rock, baby. <laughs> Uh, but Hong Kong is a territory. It was, uh, of course, uh, heavily colonized after the Opium Wars and kept in British control until 99, 98, something that range. Uh, yeah, 98. 98. And uh, because of that, it had a very capitalist economy, a very, very free market economy where there is a lack of regulations. And so there is obscene, obscene, um, you know, um, inequality there. Just yeah. huge amounts, right? Yeah. Uh, Go back and listen to our bonus episode on Milton Friedman on Hong Kong. Yes, God. (laughs) Uh, Across the way from there is another Chinese town uh, that I think is called Shenzhen, if I remember how... Right, I have trouble remembering some of the stuff on top of my head. Um, Only reason I'm paying you, dude. What are you doing Okay. (laughs) Anyway... Um, I don't know. I'll have to look up that, that Chinese town. But anyway, uh, together those were both like these these 
very capitalist economies for, for rapid growth. And the idea was, you know, one country, two systems, right? So everything else is this mixed communist system that China does. And these were capitalists just to grow because they're import ports, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other town um, that I, I'm just going to not mispronounce the name or misremember, but it, it's across from Hong Kong, and I've, I've cited it before on here somehow. Um, they, they went to China's system. They were adopted into the communist system. Right, and now they're they're still just as big. Their their uh, inequality is evaporating. It was a major part of uh, President Xi's uh, war on inequality that he did, or war on poverty that he no he didn't call it war on poverty. I forget what he called. No, it. no, the war war on poverty was was absolutely Lyndon yeah. B. Johnson. Yeah, no, but uh, he calls it something else. But it's it's campaign against poverty, right? That it's probably not a war on China. President Xi seems like a, a cuddly bear that doesn't yes. want to start wars on things. He just wants to solve problems. Yes, yeah, so you have to remember I'm very hangover right now too. I'm, I'm very totally, okay with I'm that. I'm not totally on my game, Nathan. It's, it's, Every time I see President, every time I hear President G now, I'm just I'm so rumbly in my tumbly. Oh God damn him. it! I just want to pat him on the head. God Love him it. so much. Uh, so anyway, um, <laughs> so this town, this town goes to the other system, and they're doing great, and the inequality is evaporating. And through this process in China growing in the trade market, Hong Kong went from 20% of China's GDP and having another capitalist market across the way and formerly being owned by, by you know, Britain until 1998 to, you know, being this autonomous region in China for now 20 years, um, having this town across the way, full communist, or as full communist you get in China, yeah, I mean, mixed economy, communist with the, the evaporated inequality, and Hong Kong's only 3% of the GDP. So there are lots of poor working class people that have very good reason if they wanted to to someday protest in Hong Kong about the different systems. Yeah. There's also lots of lots of very wealthy people. And there are people who in the streets uh, live. They have these tiny little like queen bed sized cage apartments. It's horrible. It's a horrible place for the poor people there. Thinking back, tying it back to the text, thinking back to, you know, again, when we talk about Fanon, the the. The French Algerians that lived within Algeria that that were not were were the Le Pens of, yes. the, of this of this group yes. that are that are oh no these are our streets and they're arming themselves and they're taking to the streets to take back French Algeria guys um, history showed us they weren't the good guys no they weren't the good no. guys in that fight no and you got to remember too I mean and, and China's 1.4 billion people to say like these wealthy people in Hong Kong is a million people or two million people isn't that that crazy idea. There's lots and lots of people yes. in China. Yes. Um, you also got to remember too. Hong Kong police are actually capitalist police, so let's not act like they don't have no. a history of, say, police brutality or misogyny or something like that. But right now, they're not serving capitalism. They're doing things in the name of China and holding down these protests, and they're not being particularly brutal. I mean, there we just talked about the five deaths in a couple days against Lenin Moreno. There's been no deaths in Hong Kong. Yeah. None. I mean, this is not an extreme police brutality situation. And honest to God, if you had a, been, if you had that many police fighting that many protesters in the United States... For 10 minutes in the United States, we'd have five deaths. Are you kidding oh, yeah. me? Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. We have that many dead Ferguson Black Lives Matter protesters torched in their own fucking cars at this point. Yeah. Like, we're getting to creative levels of murdering them before we're past that. <laughs> uh, that said, um, so of course... You know, Hong Kong police are not being the, the capitalist police. They are. They're, they're doing what China wants, and they're, they're holding down these protests. It's been 10 months. The protest started because a guy who was from Hong Kong uh, went to Taiwan, and he killed his pregnant girlfriend 
Okay, and there was no because these areas are autonomous, and this is proof in the pudding that they're autonomous, because Xinjiang and Hong Kong and Taiwan are all autonomous, I believe. Manchuria, some other areas it might also be. I, I'd have to look up what is Tibet. Is Tibet? Tibet, I'm pretty sure is also. I feel like it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Dalai Lama is a separatist. Yeah. He, he's, oh, he's a brutal. Oh, no, I, yeah, I, yeah. I get it. 98% of the people in Tibet were slaves when no, no, China no. came in. It was yeah. it was brutal. Yeah, it was uh, but uh, anyway, so in Hong Kong, there's no extradition bill. So they couldn't extradite him back from, from Taiwan as if they were different countries because they're totally autonomous. So China created an extradition bill to try this guy for murdering his pregnant girlfriend. And all of a sudden, that's when this, oh, this tyranny, they're taking away our freedom, and da 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 kind of came in, right? I mean, and mind you, they're still getting one country, two systems. There's still open, yeah. free market in Hong Kong. And, uh, it, you know, this is something through the time they've had these, quote-unquote, five demands. The first one was cutting this bill, and this bill was cut. And yet, they don't just want this bill cut. They don't want to get rid of extradition. They well, just, I was about to say, there's another bill, isn't there? That there there's something coming up in the U.S. that these Hong Kong supporters support that would extradite people from uh, from Hong Kong to the U.S. instead of to China. So and they don't want to get rid of... of, of extradition. You know, extradition. They want to give it from China to the U.S. You can't be any more explicitly colonial. And of course... No, you can. You can be any... You. I, I, I will challenge you here. You can be more explicitly colonial, and that is by welcoming Ted Cruz into your yes. country as a liberating force. That yes. would make you more... Imperial and colonial. <laughs> that is a good way to do it because that's what's happening right now. That's what's happening and right it's now. It's depressing. Yeah, and I mean, this is after months and months of these guys flying Union Jacks, graffitiing in English instead mm-hmm. of Chinese the whole time, uh, flying American flags, having the Proud Boys show up there and happily protest with them, flinging Pepe frogs everywhere. And they have they use this five demands. So they have this supposedly they're holding up five fingers for these five demands, quote unquote. And they're not unfamiliar with Nazism. They're saying Chinazi, which is definitely like this this English play on the word Chinese mm. and Nazi. Again, you know, they really lean into the English language and appealing to English-speaking countries. So they have these five demands, and they hold up their hands. And they're explicitly the Hitler salute, the Heil's like Hitler salute. salute. Yeah, it's, and just, again, it's just... It, it's it's like when they they do the uh, um, oh well you know the swastikas turned forty five degrees so that means it means peace instead of not like no no one's buying that shit. No. Well, it's all I mean again let's so so let's take that and take it back to this is again when people want to want to call out oh well you, you just conspiracy theory and whatnot. Event here's the problem I am I am someone that I need a com- you lie to me once, and uh, but over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and my default position becomes you're lying to me. Yes. And that's where... As it should be. It when's, should be, when's it the, better be at least skeptical, when's if not. The last, what was the last revolution we had where a bunch of seemingly um, English speakers in a country that doesn't natively speak English were fighting for democracy? Oh, fuck, it was Venezuela. Yeah. Oh, shit, it was Venezuela. And that is actively, at this point, proven to have been a U.S. coup that just went bad. Yeah. Um, and we're just sweeping that under the rug and moving on to Hong Kong. Yeah, moving um, on to Hong Kong and, and, and parallel trying to go into Bolivia, too. It is. If How many times... So people go, oh, well, I don't give the CIA that much credit. You know, the U.S. government isn't that smart. Yeah. I get it. At the same time, 
we have declassified playbooks of when they did this in the, the mm-hmm. 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And they looked pretty smart. They looked about exactly as smart as you'd have to be to look, pull this off. And they're doing the same playbooks the same times over and over. And they just happen to keep happening right in these socialist or adjacent to socialist countries. Weird, right? Yeah. Weird yeah. that that's how it keeps happening. Yeah, and I mean, and clearly, and this is where I talk about, you know, you, you just gather the information. A lot of other people will will be speaking the same way on these same issues as, as me. So, um, you know, I mean, keep your ears open for those sources, things like Peace Report. Um, there's a reason for as much as they're, they're uh, moderate Dem socks and, and there's a viewer or two here that I think on Citations Needed they can uh, improve. And as much as I want people to listen to, to people of color, I, we, we say go listen to Citations Needed. They're so yeah. good at logically breaking this they stuff really down. Are. And they're best at doing it and... And they, they really excel at taking the media content that you mm-hmm. do absorb either secondarily or primarily and showing you where it is flawed. And, and it, it, the very if, if all you took away, if you listen to nothing from Citation Senior, but you took away the ability to do media criticism, that yeah. podcast is worth every minute you listen to it because it's such an important skill right now in, yeah. in the age of wild propaganda. Mm-hmm. And the publication that Adam Johnson works for that, that, that it's not officially tied to, but it kind of spurred out of, is fairness Fair. and accuracy yeah. in reporting. Which is it's been around for years yes. and years and years. Is you know good and reporting Fair's website really? And if all you did is went to Fair and watched, Fair is really good at taking it's just article by article and showing you here is where it here's is the bullshit. Here's know, the yeah. bullshit. Here's this line that keeps getting repeated. Here's how that ties back. Um, and, and they do a very 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 good job of it. And as someone whose um, uh, brother is currently doing uh, on the ground reporting. Uh, on his local level, and has now gotten a a sheriff's commissioner and a mayor as of yesterday to resign. Um, I fully support the uh, the journalist industry <laughs> yeah. as long as they are doing it in the name of the people and for the people. Right. Um, and right. That's Which just a right lot now of mainstream media does not do. You know? By definition, almost no mainstream media yeah. does. Yeah. Also, um, you know, another good source that I've kind of stumbled upon recently is uh, East is a podcast. I, I haven't gotten all the I... way down to the annals of that, but I've liked that so far. You sent it to me and I haven't got to listen to an episode. I'm so backlogged on shit and yeah. I did so much. I had, I had, spoiler alert, I had this week um, the Dumb and Awful podcast that I went on, um, which I, if you listen to this podcast, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a necessity to listen to that episode because you're basically listening to everything we've done up to this point with a couple anarchists thrown in. But if you don't listen to Dumb and Awful in general, they're absolutely worth a download. Um, they really, they really do. I, I, I think they are doing good work and they're, I have always described them as they are the far better version of what Chapo should have been. Um, they're, they're actually funny and engaging to listen to and their politics aren't complete garbage. Um, so, so go listen to Dumb and Awful, but, um, I did that this week and then I had a major test this week that I could have gotten fired for if I didn't pass it. So I've been a little bit on the, what you would call distracted (laughs) side. Um, so I'm a little behind whatever we're talking about. Back to Fanon. Back to Fanon. Back to Fanon. Back to Fanon. It is through a multiplicity of demonstrations in support of their claims and through an increase in trade union demands that the rank and file achieve their political education. 
A politically informed trade union member is a man who knows that a local conflict is not a decisive settlement between himself and the employers. The native intellectuals who have often studied in their respective mother countries the working of political parties carefully organize similar institutions in order to mobilize the masses and bring pressure to bear on the colonial administration. For the record there, because that sentence feels weird when you hear it, but native intellectuals who studied in their mother countries, that would be the equivalent of a, let's say, a Camus born in Algeria, studies in France. Yeah. Um, you theoretically, your, your loyalty should be to but you, you're trying to... Your cognitive dissonance there is weird, and you're going to try. And the longer you're outside of your home country, the more you're going to start not internalizing what that actually yeah, means. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just, just because that one, read, I had to read it a couple times before it made sense to me. So, yeah, I, mean, I assume there's somebody equally dumb to me out there. That needs no, that. no, I mean that makes sense. You know, <laughs> not not to get too into it or, or get off on another tangent. Please God, just, no. Just quick. Quick comment, but, you know, that's kind of the, the whole uh, Walter Rodney, you know, grounding with my brothers thing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he get back to the working class of, of his native country, you know. Yep. Uh, the birth of nationalist parties in the colonized countries is contemporary with the formation of an intellectual elite engaged in trade. The elite will attach a fundamental importance to organization, so much so that the fetish of organization will often take precedence over a reasoned study of colonial society. The notion of a party is a notion imported from the mother country. This instrument of modern political warfare is thrown down just as it is, without the slightest modification upon real life with all its infinite variations and lack of balance, where slavery, serfdom, barter, a skilled working class, and high finance exist side by side. The weakness of political parties does not only lie in the mechanical application of an organization which was created to carry on the struggle of the working class inside a highly industrialized capitalist society. If we limit ourselves to the type of organization, it is clear that innovations and adaptations ought to have been made. The great mistake, the inherent defect in the majority of political parties in underdeveloped regions has been following traditional lines to approach in the first place those elements which are the most politically conscious. The working class classes in the towns, the skilled workers, and the civil servants. That is to say, a tiny portion of the population, which hardly represents more than the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Uh, but although this proletariat has read the party publications and understood its propaganda, it is much less ready to obey in the event of orders being given, which set in motion the fierce struggle for national liberation. It cannot be too strongly stressed that in the colonial territories, the proletariat is the nucleus of the colonized population, which has been most pampered by the colonial regime. The embryonic proletariat of the town is in a comparatively privileged position. In capitalist countries, the working class has nothing to lose. It is they who in the long run have everything to gain. In the colonial countries, the working class has everything to lose. In reality, it represents that fraction of the colonized nation, which is necessary and irreplaceable of the colonial... A machine is to run smoothly and includes tram conductors, taxi drivers, miners, dockers, interpreters, nurses, and so on. It is these elements which constitute the most faithful followers of the nationalist parties and who become the most become (laughs) and who, because of the privileged place which they hold in colonial system, constitute also the bourgeoisie fraction of the colonized people. So we understand that the followers of the nationalist political parties are above all town dwellers, shop stewards, industrial workers, intellectuals, and shopkeepers, all living for the most part in the towns. Their way of thinking is already marked in many points by the comparatively well-to-do class, distinguished by technical advances that they spring from. 
Here, modern ideas reign. It is these classes that will struggle against the obscuranatist traditions. Yeah, <laughs> that will change old customs and that will enter thus enter into open conflict with the old granite block upon which the nation rests. That was like the end of a Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 grind where you almost lost it, but you got it right there at the end. <laughs> I'm taking those points. The overwhelming majority of nationalist parties show a deep distrust toward the people of the rural areas. The fact is that as a body, these people appear to them to be bogged down in fruitless inertia. Those dumb, stupid, you know, hooligan rednecks and out there in the rural areas. And Don't, da, 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 you know. no, because you didn't make the right, you didn't make the right reference. You didn't make the reference to that, the New York Times opinion piece of the week. Oh, God damn it. David, 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 David. Yeah, you you shouldn't have said that. You didn't. You triggered something that you couldn't no. possibly have known. No. Um, yep. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah. So this week, mm-hmm. our good friend and yours, David Brooks, God with the it. New York Times. Um, oh, yeah, baby. Had a conversation. No, he didn't. He never has a conversation. He had a conversation. He just lectures. With the imaginary flyover man, Trump supporter, he admitted outright at the onset that this was entirely just him inventing a person and then having... It is the definition of a straw man. He built the person he wanted to talk to and then had the conversation with it. I was going to say, did he happen to name the person straw man? He might... Has he might as well. We're not going to get all the way into this because it's not worth your time or mine, and somebody else no. who does this better will do it. But literally, that was the article. Yeah. David Brooks talks to an imaginary Trump supporter that he invented in his head from flyover country because David, the concept of David Brooks actually going to anywhere outside of New York City makes his skin crawl too much and he couldn't possibly do it. Yeah. I, he couldn't talk to an actual Trump supporter in the actual flyover states. So and 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 let's let's be clear too. I mean the idea that like all the Trump supporters in the flyover states are, are these dumb it's not like there aren't poor white people that are raised. We've touched on this before. Okay. Um it, it unfortunately like it goes through class like breaks class to where, you know, there are poor white people. I guarantee you his conver- I can I can spoiler alert, his conversation was not with a petty bourgeois small business owner no. that is actually the base of Trump's fucking support. That's what it is. And of course it wasn't the- that. It was the fucking stereotype of a person who got a Trump 2020 tattoo on their calf. That's the person he was talking to. Yeah, and let's that's that's not the main base. You know, again, as you go poor, there are still racist people, but there, there's a much smaller percentage that are these explicit racist Trump supporters. That belongs to the petty bouge. That belongs to the suburbanite, you know, upper management and doctors and cops especially and, and you know, ex-military small business owners and, and the real estate developers. That, that is Trump's base. When you start going rural, you have, you know, poor white people. You have lots and lots of poor black people, especially in the black belt. Um, you have lots of poor, you know, Latinx people. Um, you have, you know, migrant workers and, and lumpen proletariat types. That's not where I mean, there's racism there, but that's not where the base of the racism lies. That's no. not the base of Trump's support. No, it's a bullshit narrative. And again, you know, I mean, you kind of see here and, and, and we don't want to get too much into it. But I did want you to hear this analogy. And the, I pointed this out at the beginning, you know, 
these urban these workers are are the bourgeois in the the colonial the colonized countries that Fanon is saying, yeah. and they have the same kind of attitude. You know, those stupid dumb rednecks. They love the colonizers, or mm-hmm. you know, they love they love their chiefs. They love their local priests. They're just they're just dumb reactionaries, and they don't they don't understand the revolution. That's not how you do a revolution, and that's kind of what Fanon is digging at. Now, you did say they love their chiefs, I, yeah. and I got very concerned because I was trying to figure – like, I don't like Kansas City any more than anybody else, but I could not for the life of me figure out what being a Chiefs fan had to do with inherent racism, other than the fact that your team is an inherently racist name. Yeah, I was going to say. What? Like, I get it, but I didn't – and then you went to the colonizers, and I didn't know how Kansas City got colonized. I was very – I thought you were on some 40 chess shit, and I just needed to know – okay, I needed you to know that my brain turned off for a minute. I, I will get – I'm going to get back to Fanon right now so Please? we don't get you off track. But before we do that, I just want you to know that I'm going to print a poster of Nathan's face with the quote, I don't know what the Chiefs have to do with inherent racism. <laughs> hey! Credit that to Nathan. Hey! And he never lives that quote down. Yeah, guess who edits these? Bitch, that's getting edited out. <laughs> this last two minutes didn't exist. Suck it. <laughs> the fact is that as a body, these people appear to them. David to be is just mad because people are referencing his 1973 Chilean coop reference on the internet <laughs> now, like a it. meme. And he needs something to divert attention. The members of the nationalist parties, town workers and intellectuals, pass the same unfavorable judgment on country districts as the settlers. But if we try to understand the reasons for this mistrust on the part of the political parties with regard to the rural areas, we must remember that colonialism has often strengthened or established its domination by organizing the petrification of the country districts, ringed round by marabouts, rich doctors, and customary oh. chieftains, witch doctors, yeah. and customary chieftains, the majority of the country dwellers are still living in the feudal manner, and the full power of this medieval structure of society is maintained by the settlers' military and administrative officials. This goes back to another thing, and I can't remember who was speaking about it. Um, it may, I'm going to go ahead and say it was BP Bloodus because I've not listened to nothing but them for the last week. Um, that's an interesting thing you see. Have you noticed the tendency to try and extrapolate European historical epochs on everybody else as if that happened like universally everywhere? Oh, yeah. yeah. So like feudal chauvinistic history, feudal Japan or feudalism in Africa. Like, Mm -hmm. no, that's no, just no. You're trying to take the thing you understand the system because the system of government that may be completely foreign to you makes your brain hurt. So you just label it something like feudalism even though it's not feudalism by any stretch of the fucking imagination. It's a it's a whole different, you know, culture and system of governance that you just can't understand because you're a dumb white person. That's fine. But given this is the opinion of a dumb white person, I'm going to give a pass on uh, calling Tibetan monks feudal pieces of shit because they love, love colonizers. And that's a quick shorthand for... Yeah, nah. No, I mean, we can call a few pieces of shit. I I'm mean, just like, saying. Fuck the Dalai Lama. That's all I'm saying. Now, the young nationalist middle class, which is above all a class interested in trade, is going to compete with these feudal lords in many and various fields. There are marabouts and medicine men who bar the way to sick people who otherwise could consult the doctor oracles, which pass judgment and thus render lawyers useless. 
Cades who make use of their political and administrative powers to set up in trade or to start a transport service. Customary chiefs who oppose, in the name of religion and tradition, the setting up of businesses and the introduction of new goods. The rising class of native traders and wholesalers needs the disappearance of these prohibitions and barriers in order to develop. The native customers, the preserve of feudal lords, who now become aware that they are more or less forbidden to buy the new products, therefore become a market to be contended for. The feudal leaders form a screen between the young westernized nationalists and the bulk of the people. Each time the elite tries to get through to the country of the people, the tribal chieftains, leaders of confraternities, and traditional authorities intensify their warnings, their threats, and their excommunications. These traditional authorities who have been upheld by the occupying power view with disfavor the attempts made by the elite to penetrate the country districts. They know very well that the ideas which are likely to be introduced by these influences coming from the towns call in question the very nature of unchanging, everlasting feudalism. Thus their enemy is not at all the occupying power with which they get along with, on the whole, very well, but these people with modern ideas who mean to dislocate the aboriginal society and who in doing so will take the bread out of their mouths. The westernized elements experience feelings with regard to the bulk of the peasantry, which are reminiscent of those found among the town workers of industrialized countries. The history of the middle class and working class revolutions has shown that the bulk of the peasants often constitute a break on the revolution. Generally, in industrialized countries, the peasantry as a whole are the least aware, the worst organized, and at the same time the most anarchical element. They show a whole range of characteristics, individualism, lack of discipline, liking for money, and propensities towards waves of uncontrollable rage and deep discouragement, which define a line of behavior that is objectively reactionary. Oh, I did not enjoy reading that paragraph. (laughs) Holy shit, I didn't enjoy any of that. But, I mean, it does talk about, you know, I mean, th- that's a good point. It, the the use of religious power and traditional leadership to hold people in the standstill, hold hold people poor, you know, it's kind of... It's kind of something that you saw from a purely religious perspective that was recognized in Europe during the young Hegelian days, and Marx basically had to be like, well, that's a problem, but... You're not looking at the right root of the cause. You're just you're just looking at a tool. You're just you're fighting this facade, and that's about as good an ending as you can possibly get to an episode. Because I, I promise we'll be better next time. We'll get better next time. I I don't promise that at all because I remember how last week went and we didn't get better. We just kept getting. We just hey, we got through ten pages twice. That was more than we did. Before. We did. So uh, chapter one, as is tradition. A little more ranty than usual, but darn it, you've had two weeks of uh, concise content. Part one. You've had two weeks of concise, well done content <laughs> up to this point, and we've officially done this for a year. So I don't care anymore. I'm I'm on the oh, way. Just the one year. One year. I, we're close enough. We've done this. We have managed to not fucking yeah. No, we have managed to not burn this shit down for a year. Um. We were recording long before that, but we've officially been publishing these every week for a year and didn't miss one. And that's the most consistent I've been with anything in my entire life. So I'm (laughs) celebrating that achievement. Uh, That being said, we will see you next week for uh, Chapter 2, Part 2, where we might get through more than four pages. (laughs) Bye! Bye.